Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our Ides of March edition uh, of the KSB Live for the ninth week of the legislative session. Uh, always exciting time of year. Basketball gets into full swing, and the legislature starts kind of finally doing uh, some things. We definitely saw that this week. In fact, we saw quite a bit yesterday. Uh, we're going to go through some of the top developments, and I'm just going to ask our, our team here to, to join in with their comments. Um, another major bill has gone to the governor. Uh, the first one she got and signed was the Capers repayment. But yesterday, the Senate uh, voted to pass Senate Bill 22, a uh, major tax bill, widely expected to be vetoed. Who wants to talk a little bit about what's in it and what some of the dynamics are? Uh, I mean, we can recap. We've talked about this before. Of course, this is the decoupling bill uh, would decouple the Kansas uh, income tax returns from federal income tax returns uh, for deductions to allow deductions uh, below those certain levels that have been changed because of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Uh, the two, uh, depending upon what side you're on, that's the most important piece of the of the bill. Uh, as the advocates have talked about, uh, making sure that we don't uh, harm uh, John Q. Public in their their tax deduction ability. Uh, other pieces include two corporate uh, tax giveaways on re or two corporate tax cuts, I should say, on repatriation and guilty, which is a new tax law and a new definition of revenue related to international corporations that, that are based in the United States. So uh, those were not taxable uh, items previously. They are now under the Tax Cut and Jobs Act in Kansas. Under this bill, would choose not to count that as income that would be taxable in the state of Kansas. Uh, in addition, the House added in two provisions. One was a one-cent reduction in the food sales tax. Uh, so the current house this, or state rate of 6.5% would be reduced to 5.5% on food. It was explained during the debate that there are some issues in the bill uh, textually based on how they tried to define food uh, that will need to be cleaned up. Uh, and and uh, as the, the president of the Senate, who was trailer bill, kind of said, you know, we could hopefully do it in a trailer bill as the government would sign this. Or, of course, it may come back to us for activity later and we could fix it then if needed. So um, those opportunities there. And then also a change to our taxing laws related to sales tax collection on Internet sales in relation to the Wayfair ruling by the Supreme Court last year uh, that would allow tax or Kansas to collect more sales taxes from the vendor, from the sales company uh, that they put into place. The idea in the House was that these two bills, those two additions, would offset right. uh, some of the revenue, and so it would be roughly revenue neutral. I don't think it's quite exact, and obviously it's all based on estimates, but uh, as, as Mark has kind of pointed out, the cost in the first year, 2020, would be about $200 million, and then about $140 million in 2021, 145 or so in 2022. So. Revenue decreases, uh, certainly one of the concerns with SB 22, but as you mentioned, uh, you know, this would be, uh, it'll be the, the, the governor's first first chance to do to look at something that she's been pretty vocally right. in opposition to. Well, the governor has indicated uh, not basically, I think, a sense that the state really can't afford, the, afford this in the short term and a preference to doing something on the the sale, the food tax rate um, as, as perhaps a higher priority. Obviously, the legislature has a different position on this. And as you say, estimates are very unsure. I'm sure people know that what this really comes down to is, you know, if you are, if you 
you currently, if you purchase something from out of state, if you go across a state line, if you order something where a tax is not collected, you owe that tax, but it has always been up to you to self-report it. And what this does is the, the Supreme Court decision basically says that states may require the seller, the retailer, or whoever, to, to collect that and remit it to the state. That's okay. the big change, but pretty pretty speculative about what that might be. Any other comments, guys? Well, the, like you said, the governor hasn't said the veto word, but she was asked at a news conference today what she thought about decoupling, and she said, no, I'm going to stay married. So I think, <laughs> uh, I think that's a message there that, that it would be vetoed. And, and, of course, it would take a two-thirds majority in the House and Senate to overturn a veto. And uh, the, the, the initial vote in the Senate uh, was 26 votes, one short uh, of a veto override. And I think in the House it was about eight votes short of yeah. a veto override but you know those are pretty close and yeah. you know you, you can't tell when when horse trading comes right. at the end you know you, you got to stay on top of this issue and, and as you kind of mentioned the Senate's vote to concur yesterday lost a couple votes from from the original right. bill uh, some conservative members Senator Pyle uh, being probably the most vocal that said that he didn't like the changes and and felt like we weren't defending the position the Senate had by just concurring to those, right. and that had not been discussed and vetted and and felt like that would be uh, not appropriate to Ford. So he was a no vote on the on the vote to concur. So, as Scott mentions, that, that, that will play right. into the decision of whether or not to override that veto. Yeah, critical issue. All, all I believe all the Democrats in both chambers voted against it, but um, uh, that there, there will still need to be some Republican crossovers, as there has been mm -hmm. uh, to this point, if, if it gets there. Obviously, this a veto would likely mean this could be put away until the veto session. At that time, we will have maybe better revenue projections and a better budget prediction, particularly if the legislature by then has taken actions on school finance, which is probably our next topic. Also yesterday, uh, and Rob, I meant, I, while, while some of us, Lee and I, were, were waiting to testify and tweet about my testifying, <laughs> you guys were, were listening, I think, to, yeah. the, to the floor debate. Uh, so, so Rob and Scott, uh, what, what happened and what was some of the commentary around it? Sure, SB, 40, SB 142, which is in in effect, the governor's response and, and the state board's response to Gannon, uh, this is the recommended dollar amount, uh, the $92.7 million in base aid plus an additional uh, $10.7 or $3 million that would go to CAPERS uh, uh, payments uh, to, you know, because of expected actuarial increases there. Uh, was was approved by the by the Senate yesterday in emergency final action, a vote of 32 to eight, which I think right. first is pretty significant because it tells about, about 10 votes more yes votes yeah, than people were kind of counting yeah. early on, I think. Um, you know, and so some real buy-in. Uh, carried by the chair of the Education Committee, Senator Molly Baumgartner, I thought she did a really nice job of kind of explaining how this wasn't just just the Senate's position. Really, this has become the, the collaborative position of of the State Board of Education mm -hmm. that set forth this plan last summer when they uh, put together their request for funding uh, to the legislature. The governor and the administration uh, that built a funding model which was pretty much this into their budget plan, maybe a little different structure the way they proposed it, but but ultimately the same dollars invested into it. And, and where the Senate Education Committee ended up coming down and saying, this is our move forward. Uh, 
ad, edu, you know, advocate support. There was, a, you know, KSB tested, uh, testified in favor of this bill when the hearing was last week, uh, and additional support from education advocacy organizations that had written testimony during the hearing last week in education, and and so really set forth that this was a collaborative plan in response. To Gannon, uh, a little bit of debate, a couple amendments that were offered. One trying to direct the money more specifically towards at-risk funding, waiting. Uh, one looking for some some measures of accountability and some reporting that would be required and certification of effort. Uh, but but no, neither of those uh, went that far. The Democrats did. Uh, Senator Hensley uh, was there uh, and did stand up and say, you know, previously we had made a motion that would add more money than this bill. It would add the same money in year one and then an additional 80-some million in year two. That, that motion was defeated by the chamber. He and, and he said the Democrats still felt that there may be a need for more dollars, but they felt like this was a good position to put, and they felt that they would support it to move forward in a response to Gannon in support of the governor's structure of their plan, and they can always revisit additional dollars in the future was kind of his, his sentiment. So really, really great conversation, really, in, in the chamber and, and some, as we said, widespread report with, with 32. Who, who knew the Senate would be the great coming together yeah. of all these positions? Scott, anything you want well, to Well, I, I, like, like Rob said, it was a strong vote, and, uh, uh, and, and there was a lot of discussion about the uh, the uh, position that schools for fair funding had taken in recent weeks requesting more money and so I think uh, maybe uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it but maybe some of these senators saw this uh, Senate bill 142 as kind of the compromise position and uh, could uh, jump on board that and just for those who have been vacationing uh, for several weeks <laughs> may not may not remember where we are now the the, the point of disagreement is that the, the way the, the what this bill as passed does as recommended by the State Board of Education, as recommended by the governor, is to add roughly $90 million a year over the next four years on top of what's been approved each year. So districts would be receiving $100 million more than they are expected to get, which is also an increase every year of about $100 million from the previous year for a total of about $360 million spread over that period. Schools for funding, representing the plaintiffs in the Gannon case, have argued that the money—the best way to maybe say it is—the dollars should stack, right. and so it, you end up having 360 million dollars more each year at the end of that period, or cumulatively about 900 million. But again, that's that's a long phase-in period. That's been very confusing, obviously. Um, but again, the, the the state board and governor has said no. They believe this is a credible response to the to the inflation re- request of the court. Uh, and I think most of the education groups felt at this point we'd we'd come together and should want to stay with that. Uh, certainly doesn't mean there aren't differing interpretations, and it obviously will be up uh, to the court to decide. Um, well, let's maybe move then to the House plan when you talk about more money in the future mm-hmm. becomes uh, maybe even a little bit more clear on, so let's see, Was Wednesday, Tuesday, <laughs> yes, Tuesday of this week, the, uh, the House uh, uh, voted to in, or introduced House Bill 2395, uh, which was crafted by probably a number of people, but essentially came from the K-12 Budget Committee, Representative Christy Williams as, as chair, working with others, and we spent uh, 
Several days mm-hmm. trying to read, understand, share, prepare hours, testimony. Several, several hours. Several hours. There, there weren't several days we to read. We didn't have many Well, I guess I, I guess I'm cumulatively <laughs> going. Like I'm kind of going from Tuesday afternoon <laughs> till Thursday after <laughs> yesterday. But yeah, I mean, it, a couple it, maybe would be inappropriate. May, maybe yeah. we should. <laughs> Let's just say right. we worked hard to understand <laughs> and prepare testimony. We certainly aren't sure of everything. But here's what I think we do know. Essentially, the first. Um, two years of this plan is the same as the Senate position, the same as the state board position, the same, same as what the governor recommended. But whereas the, the Senate bill continues out two additional years with higher base increases, this bill then just stops after two years. So not only does it not add the final two $90 million installments, or to put another way, not, it, not only does it not continue to ratchet up, as uh, Schools for Fair Funding uh, is requesting, it actually withdraws right. the, the increases that were approved last year uh, for, tw- for fiscal years uh, 22 and 23. Uh, so the core of our testimony, and there are many other things in the bill which we'll get to, is that not only is it less than the inflation adjustment proposed um, over time, it's actually below even what the legislature has already passed and sent to the court. And to that extent, we think it is um, highly unlikely uh, the court would accept it. Um, the other, And just as we kind of, and we'll be sharing today uh, kind of a list that has a couple of other things uh, that, that this bill does that's important to keep in mind. Um, but I, I may just kind of stop there and ask whether, before we kind of go into any other details, if there's any comments or simply questions from you guys to make sure we're we're all together on this. So I'll ask you a question real quick because I wasn't clear. Not only did it remove the last two years of funding, did it also remove the statutory inflation adjustments that would go on after the completion? Correct. It, it uh, whereas even as actually two years ago, the legislative response was to basically say, okay, when we get our Gannon fix in place, we're going to put an automatic cost of living adjustment based on the Midwest CPI, which tends to be a little lower than kind of the national one uh, would be used. That was supported by everyone, I think noted by the court as a good thing, but that's taken away. And uh, probably less impact, but with some impact, the uh, bill last year also uh, had put inflation adjustment on the artificial local option budget base, which for those of you who know school finance in some detail, the local option budget actually uses a different base than the, the real base, um, and that will go away when the base gets to a certain level, but that was going to be indexed. That was repealed as well. So both of those uh, uh, happen. Another thing, and so... Another big difference is that while the roughly 90-some million dollar increase next year and the additional amount which carries over the following year, um, the dollars are there, but the base amount is much lower because uh, the House proposal institutes a new weighting equal to about $20 million for mental health programs, we'll explain in a moment, and and a a modest increase in the at-risk weighting factor. The result of these is there will be more weighted students, and so the base increase 
is lower, even though it's basically the same amount of money. Okay? So, again, I'll mention a few things, but those of you jump in with either your <laughs> questions or your observations or where, where I'm getting it wrong. So the new mental health weighting is a way to uh, institutionalize the mental health pilot right. that was approved last year at $10 million. Uh, last year it was a standalone program. It wasn't a weighting. The idea here is to move that into the formula. Uh, I think it's fair to say there are a number of questions about that. Um, uh, the amount of the weighting is 0.5 of all students in a building served by a mental health liaison, which again is one of the right, features. That's we need to talk you know, about. Uh, but one of the concerns we raised, and we pointed out, KSB's position adopted by our members is that mental health is a is a serious issue. Um, the mental health pilot, we advocate, we support it as a good idea. But that is limited to, to a certain number of districts as a startup. While this, in theory, could expand all districts, if it's capped by an effective amount of money, it means that a fairly limited number of districts are likely mm -hmm. to benefit mm -hmm. in the short term. And what that means is if you don't get one of these projects, you're getting a lower base than you would mm -hmm. under the alternative plans to do any other kind of mental health or health services or at-risk services. So that raises some questions about equity, whether the court would accept this, because it's it won't be going to all districts, at least initially. Right. I think it's... Um something that uh, our members in the Wichita area may want to uh, discuss at legislative coffees uh, this weekend. This provision is uh, modeled on the pilot, as, as Mark mentioned, from last year that was really sort of the, the brainchild of Representative Brenda Landwehr, who's on the K-12 Budget Committee. Um, so if you need to or have the opportunity to talk to her this weekend, you know, we support the pilot, as Mark said. The issue is at least to me, is the disequalizing nature of it. You know, if you have, if you are only able to draw down this money if you have um, one of these liaisons in your school, how does that work for our more rural districts? You know, they, they can't even hire math teachers at this point, some of them, or science right. teachers. Getting what the bill says needs to be a master's level uh, mental health interventionist liaison, or you can have a non-master's person if the state board gives you a waiver. So there's an awful lot of uh, ifs there. To me, that that at, if nothing else, regardless of the base or whatever, it it's disequalizing. Right. I'm not an attorney. My parents didn't pay for me to cheat into law school. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, mom and dad. Um, but you know that seems to be certainly a lot of questions raised on this, and there was discussions both in the hearing and afterwards about this. Uh, I, again, I, I think the supporters, I think that Representative Landwehr is very sincere about wanting this to expand, but there, I think the issues are the mechanics of doing so, and to what extent, again, I think the larger question is whether this would make it more difficult to do something else with new right. resources. Now, again, weightings are, are always, to some extent, not quite equal, because the whole point of a weighting is to say, you've got a different set of needs or a different set of characteristics, but um, it, it certainly is raising a lot of questions that I think that we'll continue to look at. It'll be interesting to see, you know, it, 
as we move forward, if if a bill like Senate Bill 142 could go into law and kind of move us towards the the kind of wrap up or at least a mm-hmm. a, a phase of right. of inaction at the court as they as we wait for that to go in. The priorities here. The main conflict seems to be that this is a priority for legislators, but they also want educational funding credit for making this investment, but they don't necessarily want these funds to be education funds. They want to fund community health centers right. to provide this service. And and so trying to find a way to run it through education budgets, but really not have it be education controlled dollars creates this this conflict of, right. of trying to figure out. So what is yeah. what does it do when we all know it's a necessary and needed right. investment in our state? How can we come up with a plan that does it that's not about getting credit for the right thing? And, and maybe, again, uh, if this goes into effect, uh, that will certainly not be the end of studies on it because to some extent um, it really I guess as I understand it it almost will continue to be a kind of pilot for the first two years because it will be limited in dollars and so is that more disequalizing than if it was pulled out of the base and set aside hard to say again bottom line is as you're talking with your legislators uh, this is a great subject to bring up what is the most effective way we can meet the mental health needs of kids and communities because I do think a strength of this bill is that by partnering with community mental health providers and potentially others you know you're noting that often a child with mental health problems is not limited to the child Mm -hmm. there may be issues in the family and the community and so Mm -hmm. how do we the, the partnership is a great idea that's very much part of the spirit of Kansans can. But again, a lot lot of questions about this particular mechanism. A couple of other things we'll want to hit. Again, jump in. A lot of concern was expressed by KASB and others because this bill repeals the 92% uh, target. uh, And I'm just noticing a typo uh, in our little notes. The practical effect, as Chairman Williams pointed out, is really nothing because the legislature has not met that target since at least 2009. Uh, So arguably it doesn't do anything. But what it does do is remove at least the idea that that's the goal to shoot for. So while not binding, we, we raised a concern about that. Another thing it does is limit the number of years a student could get bilingual waiting to four years. Uh... Mark Dusetti, who is uh, the uh, chief lobbyist for uh, Kansas NEA, who had been uh, uh, taught Spanish and other capacities, uh, talked a lot about the the issue that kind of the different rate that that kids learn. uh, different ages, etc. So again, I think this is something those of you with bilingual programs really need to be looking at. Mm-hmm. How many of your students take longer? Why, if they do? Um, and, and again, key thing to share because the question raised is again, if you're kind of denying services to a child arbitrarily, mm-hmm. then this again would, it seems to us, raise some potential equity issues. Uh, because the proponents have not gone in this bill, it's not really been explained what's causing that, other than maybe just a general sense that kids are staying in these programs too long. Um, There's also uh, provisions that require the State Board of Education uh, to uh, provide a a kind of a new report card system, Um, but in effect this is really, the State Board is already working on a new system. Uh, What the bill talks about is requiring it to include certain federal requirements, which are already required. Uh, So I think as we looked at this, it, it basically is asking the 
the board to kind of redesign and make their website a little user friendly, which I think we'd all be for, but sometimes it can be easier said than done, but the, we, we know the, the board is already working on that. What we did find somewhat troubling is the bill removes specific references of support of the Kansans can uh, goal and the list of those five outcomes. That, again, doesn't really have any practical effect. Uh, the state board can still pursue them. They weren't in statute. But we wonder why, especially when, well, our members voted to add that specifically to right. KSB's position. That's right. I think under the idea that, that we want to we want to do everything we can to, to get Kansas kind of unified yeah, kind behind of that. kind of odd symbolic gesture. Yeah. yeah, I think it was put in last year to try to indicate that people are all working together. So, But again, we don't, we, we have not heard a reason why that's been proposed to take out. Um, okay, well now let's move to maybe a, a little more complicated, potentially a bigger issue for, for some of our members, and that has to do with limits on cash balances. I'm sure everyone knows that this has been a controversial topic for a number of years, so as I understand the proposal, we're all struggling to do this, this would require districts or the state board to analyze the monthly cash balances of districts in all funds except bond and interest and capital outlay. Those are important exceptions because right. they really are separate and special. Capital outlay, everyone agrees, is a place where districts can, can build up balances. A monthly average would then be calculated, and that average then at the end of the year would be compared with operating expenditures that year. And if balances exceeded expenditure, exceeded 15% of expenditures, over the next year, the district would have to spend those down. So the positive thing, I guess, is mm -hmm. that this does not propose, as there has been previous legislation, to come in and just take away those balances, which has been suggested before as, frankly, a way to raise money. Um, KSB just raises several concerns. One, one of course, is that you know we've we've made this something that local boards can decide what they think is appropriate. Number two, there are certainly funds where you might appropriately be saving higher balances. Right. Textbook materials, for example, maybe activities, uh, possibly possibly food service. Some of these other areas uh, could be a part of that. The Alvarez and Marcel report from several years ago suggested a model like this, but using the lowest. Uh, uh, monthly, because uh, if you're really talking about kind of what do you need for cash flow, what's truly for contingency. Um, and then uh, there have been issues raised about the impact this might have on bond ratings if districts mm -hmm. don't, don't have uh, adequate levels. Um, and then I'm forgetting one other point, so feel free to jump in if everyone wants to or anyone wants to. Um, but I'm not making it. So I uh, <laughs> guess we'll stop there and, and just say I guess the advice to you would be to look at your at, you know, look, right. look at your balances, your balances over your monthly balances, which all districts have to report to the state uh, department and is shared with the legislature uh, over last fiscal year. Uh, exclude capital outlay and bond and interest and compare that uh, to uh, your total operating expenditures. Uh, find out where you are. Find out who would be expected and, I guess, be prepared to share be reasons to why, uh, and and certainly we're welcome to hear uh, we hear this. Well, oh, the one other thing that Alvarez and Marcel, the the, the legislative efficiency study talked about, was uh, and basically giving the state board the authority to make an exception. So that the board came in and said, "We have a high balance in this fund. Here's the reason why they could grant an exception." So, you know, our point was we. It, our calculations are that the percent 
of bond funds as a percent of expenditures have not actually been growing. The dollar amount has been growing, but but so have district budgets, so you would expect that. Um, but if we are going to approach something like this, uh, there are many more issues than just kind of drawing a, a, a flat policy like this would be. Thoughts? No, moving. there's no, let's yeah. keep moving. Okay, uh, <laughs> then I'm going to tell you, you guys stop me when there's something worth talking about. The bill does put in law the state payment of uh, for all students of the ACT and work keys, um, which, which we strongly have supported. It creates a, uh, a task force uh, or commission or something to study, no, it directs the state board yeah. to study graduation requirements uh, and, and specifically ask them to look at including financial literacy and computer science. You may Remember, there were two bills to mandate that. Uh, we and many other groups opposed them. This is kind of saying, well, okay, study it and see whether you can come up with a way to do it. Um, it also creates an IT Education Standards Advisory Commission to advise both the State Board of Education and Board of Regents and extends the Dyslexia Task Force. On the subject of task forces, the next thing it does gets us into the area of bullying, bullying bullying prevention, bullying behaviors. Um, One thing is it sets up a a task force to study uh, ways to more effectively prevent bullying. It also puts in place some new requirements the districts would have to have in their bullying plans or policies on their websites. The State Board of Education this week also, though, received a uh, proposal from the commissioner that they're going to set up a task force on bullying. So then the third thing it does is create a a voucher program we talked about before. Any comments on the discussion around uh, the the task force? Well, the task force uh, discussion actually ended up taking up, God, it felt like 10 years of our lives (laughs) yesterday. Um, Pardon my use of the Lord's name there on, on a holy day. But um, there was a lot of discussion about who gets to be on the task force, who gets to appoint those members, which, you know, that tends to be a, a feature of discussion of task forces. The people who aren't on it are upset. Um, I think there's some concern on our part about duplication of effort. Right. But the uh, the concern really, really centered around why after years of attempts at you know solving the bullying problem uh why hasn't more been done i think you could talk about many causes of why that is you could talk about larger societal efforts you could talk about uh kind of the climate in which we live um so after a lot of um angst about that and you know we all need we all need to do better on that that's certainly true you know there's questions about does this belong in a school finance bill is this something as with some of the other policy topics that are in house bill 2395 are those things that really are better discussed outside of the parameters of the school finance bill and and that's again why i think our feeling was the task force makes makes a a great deal of sense however we can agree you know broad-based all parties involved try to really understand it the second bullying component, which also drew a lot right. of discussion, is the voucher. Th- that's that's right. correct. It's so, called a Hope Scholarship right. Act, but really, it's a voucher. So, so let's kind of walk through the mechanics. 
Number one, it sets in place a process where students can report if they feel they have been the victim Victims. of bullying. It then puts in place a process for investigating that, and unlike the previous bill, it does require a finding that the student was a victim. Right. You have to be the victim. There has or to be an target, investigation. Or a target. That's correct. I think, I think the, the nomenclature phrase. preferred in some quarters at least is target. Um, if this child is so determined, uh, they are eligible for what I'll explain in a moment. If not, by the principal or designee, they can appeal to the school board. So school board members, right. you, you may, and we know you already may be involved in this, may be asked to adjudicate uh, findings in this area. If it is determined you have been the target of bullying, you have essentially three options. First, you have to, you have to be informed, I guess, of all these three. One, uh, the district can basically say, here's what we're going to do about it, Okay. Mm-hmm. We're sorry. Here's our plan to help you, or, or, or how we're how we're dealing with this issue in our school. Second, if the child wants to transfer to another school district, another public school district has to accept them. So this would mean, if regardless if I, of whether you have room, right, any, anything like that, you would have to take uh, the child. The third option is that the student could get a scholarship to attend an accredited private school. But only, although this is in the bill, it, it goes without saying, because it's also not in the bill, uh, if the private school would accept you. Right. And that became a major point of contention that many students who may be the targets of bullying uh, could be those who many private schools might want to accept because sexual orientation, family status, all of these other issues. If the private school accepts the student, then a uh, portion ranging from mm-hmm. 88 to 96, I think, percent of base state aid per pupil would, in effect, be transferred into a fund that could be used for basically tuition books uh, in a in a private school uh, in in that setting. We raised in testimony, although we did not get a chance to do it orally, uh, the, 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 the notion that this would appear to be more problematic under our constitutional prohibition of uh, education dollars right. being controlled by religious organizations because it be hard to argue the share of base state aid is not education dollars, right. and virtually all of accredited private schools in Kansas are religious affiliated, mostly Catholic, some Lutheran, and, and a few other uh, schools that are accredited. So that, again, a w- lot of arguments that both on the grounds of, A, the issue of funding a private education, that schools that do not have to accept all kids, B, in particular, schools being able to not accept kids when the whole point of this program is to allow kids another educational option. Very controversial. Any questions on that before we move on or thoughts? Well, there's also some discussion of, you know, why... Why is it that the victim or the target is the one who has to leave? You know, meanwhile, the bully theoretically gets to stay behind and continue wreaking havoc on an increasingly smaller pool of, of targets. So. Nice, nicely phrased. Now, one of the things I guess that I, I think will be an interesting part of discussion in the uh, in in the task force or forces, depending on what is out there. And again, I don't mean to make light at all because I think this is a this is a great opportunity for boards to be talking about what you're doing and what 
what That's your right. experience and the challenges. But um, now with that, you would. Oh, OK. And that is the fact that I think what what our attorneys would say is there really isn't much a district can do about a an aggressor other than stop educating them. In other words, about the only disciplinary tool that a school district actually has is you can suspend them or you can expel them. And so while it is true that a, a student might be expelled for being an aggressor and therefore, well, the other child doesn't have to, to go, I think part of the concerns is so often in these cases it is not necessarily a one-on-one, a clear, you know, a clear aggressor, a clear victim. It may be groups of kids. It may be social media. All all of those things, and I think that's what districts are really struggling with. A child behaving inappropriately uh, to simply be removed from school uh, may not help their right. <laughs> long-term ability to, to function <laughs> in society or, or down the road. So, again, complex issues, which is exactly why we think the task force is the way to go, but again, we, we did not support uh, the HOPE scholarship idea. Other observations? So, uh, I guess, and this would be a question for you guys, just because I sometimes get caught in mechanics. If you were forced to take a student from another district, would you then be forced to bust that student since they would probably be past the 2.5 mile radius? And well, they would. You, you, yes. I think the okay. short answer is yes. But you would be funded, which is right. I think the difference from now. You can take kids from out of district, but you aren't funded. Correct. So now you okay. have a situation where is if you want other kids for whatever reason, funding, whatever you're looking for, you can do it. You don't get paid. In this case, there might be a child that you might not want, again, whatever reason. Again, I don't know how widespread it would be. I think most school districts, if they limit kids from other districts, it has more to do with uh, size and right. capacity and those sorts of issues. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and in fairness, in within this debate, uh, some of the one conferee in this case who has been a longtime supporter of changes in this area is very much against the idea that you should, you know, take kids out of school instead of trying to fix the problem within the school. But that will only be done if we sort of acknowledge there are problems and, right. and deal with them. Kind of related to the issue of private school support is another provision of this bill which amends the current uh, tax credit scholarship bill. In this case, it is a program funded by contributions that right. receive favorable tax treatment, not direct state dollars. Currently, a student may get a scholarship to attend a private school under this program if they are A, low income, and B, if they are attending one of the bottom-ranked public schools by basically by test scores. This bill would change that to the bottom-ranked 100 elementary. elementary only, which in and of itself seems to be curious if the goal is to help kids who are not being successful because we know state assessments there are more students at least as a percentage in the upper grades mm -hmm. that are not successful now again very important to understand nothing in the current scholarship requires that the student receiving the scholarship be low performing themselves 
you can be a very successful student, but if your school is considered low-performing, you're eligible for the scholarship. If you are a low-performing student in another school, doesn't help you. And if you are a low-performing kid in a low-performing school, it may not help you if the private school doesn't accept you. So we've always opposed this provision on several grounds. It, it seems that this would be a step away from uh, the ostensible purpose of the program. Um, and again, though, with no conferees so far, there was no explanation of the purpose of this. If there's no comments on that, I guess in the words of Monty Python, for something completely different, uh, let's talk about roofing bids. Sure. That I'm going to turn to Mr. Gilligan, well, our expert. The, uh, you know, a, an important piece, of course, of our school districts, our roofs, um, the, has become a pretty, a pretty hot focus. This first started out in a Senate bill. There's also a House bill, but it had not had a hearing uh, scheduled for it. But they would add in there a provision that would prohibit uh, districts from specifying specific proprietary products, materials, or installation uh, or method of, of installing roofs in your roofing bids uh, would additionally require the districts of uh, in communities of 50,000 or more um, would, so, would the, so not the district, but the metropolitan yes, area. the community the district is in. So, you know, if that area, yeah, which, which of course isn't, yeah, the metropolitan area. Isn't really defined. It's not really defined to explain, you know, if, if you know, 501 obviously would be in a metro Topeka. area of this, but would Silver Lake be in the Topeka metro area and, and thus, you know, underneath right. this? We're not sure. Um, but uh, would be required to get at least three bids. Uh, on on bidding out these 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 opportunities uh, for for installation and building, uh, but as was also pointed out apparently by the chair, there's also a caveat that at the end, school boards could choose for a higher bid item if they felt that it was of better quality, superior quality, or inst or installation method uh, things. So of course, luckily most of our boards of education be made up of, of roofing engineers, this would this becomes a very helpful provision within the within the thing. But but certainly leaves some, some conversations and some comments that right. that that maybe this was an attempt to make this a little bit more flexible for school districts to be able to choose what they felt uh, was the best roof, uh, where our testimony in front of one forty eight was that most often if, if a district defines a particular product or installation method, it is to be consistent with previous methods the district has done and is at the recommendation of professional engineers and architects uh, that, that give us a, a cause and justification for why we'd want to do this, whether it be for long-term investment, whether it be for you know value uh, versus return of dollars, uh, that may be. So it, it, it seems to be that we're... Once again, trying to legislate and fix a, a, a concern for a very, very small, specific audience in this, in this case. But I guess I would say if you are a school district and you have a roof, this is something that could potentially affect you. <laughs> so uh, we would really recommend that you and your building ex experts or consultants or, or everyone look at this provision, get your own understanding of it, and, of course, talk to your legislator about it why it's coming forward, what it might mean. Uh, again, as we would certainly say, if we can find a way to address the problem, but it's a little hard to know exactly what the problem is here um, because I think most of the testimony has indicated uh, we have an example of districts that are asking for a, a certain type of product that some providers 
don't want to do and aren't getting met bids and are upset about that. And this appears to be something that is designed to address that, address that, but but perhaps not really if the board still has that out the end. So don't again, not meaning to make light, but this is obviously something that every district potentially uh, may have to deal with, although not necessarily at this level. Two more quick provisions, I think, to make. Uh, uh, Note three. One is, uh, and something we testified in favor, the the bond cap that many of our districts are concerned about. This creates a new exception for for essentially maintenance and repair, which would be a pretty significant part of of, uh, bonds go for that. So I think our feeling is, while not repealing the cap, it would be another way of creating more room and not being as restrictive as, as the bill might be. So we we would be in favor of that. Another provision would require school districts, if you have students living less than two and a half miles from school, which means they're not, you aren't required to transport them under current law, and there is no safe pedestrian route, which the bill defines in various ways, um, you would have to provide them transportation, but only if it doesn't cost you any more. So, well, again, our concern would be, well, uh, this is great to provide this service, but we, you know, we're not going to get reimbursed by the state. Well, this basically says if it costs you more, you don't have to do it. Issue, of course, I think is whether that creates problems with, okay, how exactly do you document how much it costs, how much it doesn't? Does it change from year to year, for example, if you change bus routes or other circumstances? And then perhaps fundamentally, if if the state has an interest in making sure that one group of kids with unsafe routes gets transportation, shouldn't we be concerned about all kids in the state and providing the resources to transport them? Because we certainly know that many districts are already spending, in effect, general education dollars precisely because they're concerned about these routes. So uh, in that sense, we think, again, uh, the intent is very clear. It's for student safety. That's good, but it seems to be focused on 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 a very narrow part of the potential problem. And then the last provision we'll mention that will affect just a few of you is the bill would repeal a provision passed last year that would lower the amount of state aid provided for out-of-state students. So if you're a district that enrolls kids from other states, under current law, that funding amount is phased down over the next few years. Under this bill, we would simply go back to counting those as full-time students like anyone else. <clears throat> Guys, I need to take a short soft drink break. Any, uh, <laughs> any, uh, any other comments I'm missing about that bill? Go ahead. No, I, just, I was just going to say, there's a, there's a lot going on in this bill. Uh, and I think that, that would explain kind of why it is. And, and, and discussions and comments will continue on Monday for the hearing, and then they'll work the bill. Um, and, and so this weekend, as you see coffees, uh, I, would, I would suggest talking to your legislators and say, there seems to be a pretty simple, straightforward answer in SB 142 <laughs> that had a lot of votes in the Senate, and and that would be where we would ad- advocate that the, that the House would look uh, for guidance. And some of these other issues we can, as Leah said, take up in their own when it, it seems right. more appropriate uh, to discuss some of these broader issues that aren't really part of school finance. <clears throat> no, I was going to say... You know, many of these provisions that you talked about, I mean, you, you kind of 
uh, uh, said, well, we, we're not sure why this is being brought up. And I think that was per- kind of the problem with the hearing is, you know, usually when a bill is brought up, <clears throat> the proponents of it come up and say, this is why we need this, this is why we need that, and then the opponents get to testify. And in this bill, it was kind of uh, put in backwards. I mean, we yeah. we haven't heard from anyone right. why, why this is needed. And, and in some cases, for example, the bullying provisions, there yeah, had yeah, been yeah. a lot of right. hearings, and we know that. So in that case, I think people know where the issues are, but but in, in some of these other instances, uh, that, that is certainly not the case. It, it is important to note that this bill, the hearings aren't even finished. Uh, the committee will then have to work it. It's possible that some of these provisions will be changed. So certainly, further communication with members of the committee uh, would be helpful. Those of you that, that have a representative on the committee. Uh, I'm sure they would welcome your information. But assuming that something like this gets to the floor, complicated as it is, I think, because I think what, what the body will then be confronted with are choices. Do we try to amend it? Do we try to fix things? Do we send it back to committee? I mean, there are a number of But it's entirely possible that they may debate this piece by piece, point by point. Mm-hmm. So where you have concerns about all these items, be sure to regis- register it with your, your legislator uh, over the next few days, quite frankly, because we are running out of time. Any last comments on any of the school finance issues. Let's keep moving. Okay, then then what we want to do is just give you a quick rundown of the bills that are actually moving, starting with bills that have passed one house. I'm going to briefly describe it. I'm then going to let anyone who testified or have thoughts jump in. Number one, Senate Bill 7 deals with the date of elections when, when school boards elect their officers. Hearing was held this week in House Education. Right. That bill was uh, introduced by Senator Tom Hawk. He was there to provide supporting testimony as well as and uh, uh, Carla Hagemeister from Manhattan Ogden USD 383 also testified in favor. KSB is neutral merely because we don't have specific policy language on the date of the election of officers. So uh, there were no questions from the committee. They were exhausted after two hours of a very contentious uh, debate about a letter to the New York legislature, legislature, so no questions there, and uh, they will likely work that bill in the next, you know, several days. So Tuesday, I think Tuesday, it's indicated okay. Tuesday, maybe. All right, yeah. very good. That's the committee that well, Tuesday or Thursday, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that, right. that committee does not meet every day. So, that's right. again, that's moving. Another bill, Senate Bill 128. This is the bill that uh, ratchets back this year's number of crisis right. rules to nine. Again, right. Lee, I think that's you testified correct. on that. So KSB and the, and the state fire marshal testified in favor of this bill because it uh, we both feel appropriately addresses the number of drills that we need to keep our kids safe without over-traumatizing them and without, frankly, you know, as we're doing this year, having a drill every 10 or 11 school days, you know, for something, whether it be fire, tornado, and, of course, those are all appropriate. Right. But it uh, it has become really uh, an over-stress on not only the educational system but on the students. And so the fire marshal and KASB agreed having, you know, three crisis drills, four to four tornado, and two fire is a good amount. Helps us keep kids safe, gives us a little bit of, of flexibility. Uh, the issue was that the committee chair mm-hmm. opted not to work the bill because there's some concern that this bill could become a vehicle for other 
policy provisions. And so that bill has not been worked. Now this, the committee is scheduled to work some bills uh, this coming week, so we'll see what happens there. Next in our lightning round is Senate Bill 16. <laughs> this is the bill that kind of sets some definitions for at-risk funding, including the JAG-K program. It has a hearing Monday. What more need to be said? Uh, so the one thing I'd say is different. That both both the House and the Senate committees have heard similar bills right. on this. Uh, the Senate kicked their bill out and passed it through the House. They also added um, boys, and boys and girls clubs. That's, I, I always want to say them backwards, and I'm, I'm like, no, that's it. But the Boys and Girls Clubs of America and Boys and Girls Clubs of Kansas as a identified source, which is a little bit different from the House bill that I believe the K-12 committee had moved out before. So so they may end up moving this one along as a way to kind of be consistent and, and, and create a vehicle. And, and certainly keep your eye on some of these numbers because, they again, they could be amended to include a number of other items. Uh, House Bill 2360 uh, is kind of a technical cleanup that has to do with background checks for volunteers. Schools are part of that. A hearing was held in Senate Judiciary. Yesterday. You monitored mm -hmm. no action. No action. Uh, there didn't seem to be any concern. You know, when the, when the executive director of the KBI says, hey, this is great, you know, the uh, legislature seemed to be on board with it, so I would assume that the bill will pass out. Moving along, House Bill 2346 deals with some, I think it's largely styled as updates or modernizations yes. to yeah. vision screening. A uh, hearing was held in Senate Education. Leah was busy this week. Yes. You were yeah. there. Yeah, it was a good, good hearing. Apparently the standards uh, had not been updated literally for decades. There were references to vision tests that I guess are no longer even used, and so um, so that's the good part. Uh, we were we expressed a few concerns about uh, there's the possibility that this bill would require local school districts to conduct additional vision screenings beyond what's required now. Say, uh, say into any private school student, not not just as what's required now, which is if a if a private school student is on an IEP, then you you all probably know then the the public school district will provide the vision screening. But this bill could potentially uh, open districts up to providing that screening to any private school that uh, requests it. Now, we did note that we are receiving additional funding as a, a courtesy of the legislature, and we, we imagine that we can probably handle that, but it just was something we felt we should point out. And, and we would, again, as we've been saying, uh, none of us, though we all wear glasses, um, style ourselves as experts in this area. Um, if you are having experiences, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, uh, share them. I think there were some some anecdotal questions about, well, right. our district won't let so-and-so well, so do it. Because so, yeah. so. in many cases, it is local, the local eye, the local eye community right. uh, it right. provides so these at no charge. So there's not necessarily a cost yeah. to a school district at all, but apparently there can be some controversy even apparently within that area. So, so. so yeah. yeah. And Senator Bruce Gibbons, who, you know, is a special ed expert, he noted that there's a, there's a part in the bill that uh, requires some additional screening for pre-K, some early and not that that's bad, but again, that's a, you know that's an expense on the behalf of the school district. So we were neutral. It was a very good discussion. Okay, and one more bill in this category, House Bill twenty two fourteen, would deal with the school bus fuel tax, and it has a hearing coming up on Tuesday. Anyone want to field that? Or sure, forget? I said on the on the committee hearing on this. So uh, <laughs> in, in in our law, we define the that school bus. Uh, 
fuel for school buses is exempt from from state taxes on fuel, uh, but they define school buses specifically as vehicles that transport over ten children and right. in effect mainly is long and yellow. Um, and and as many districts have expanded the programs, the offerings, and the needs that they have to serve, their fleets have changed and modified because it is not as efficient, maybe, to drive a big, long school bus if you only need to take uh, two kids or three kids or five uh, students someplace else. And uh, the Department of Revenue has, in the past... Uh, allowed schools to file for a rebate for their taxes on the motor fuel that they buy for their school buses or school transportation vehicles for students, and they now interpret that to be not in kosher with the law, so they have been requested to update the law to come up with that. It, it passed through the House chambers uh, overwhelmingly, um, and so now is on to the Senate for some action. Thank you. I've, I'm watching my phone for possible Twitter questions, but Scott, you, I think, uh, liked some breaking statehouse news from the governor's office. Um, oh, did I? You may have already forgot. Apparently, uh, Governor Kelly is moving the clock in the governor's yes, office. So yes. that's the kind of kind of up to date state house information forward, yeah. we're getting. Maybe the, I think moving the clock, not just the time. But okay, very quickly. There's a couple that of other Friday. There's a, there's a that's right. Uh, there's a couple of bills still in the first house that we are looking at. Um, the one that might might be the most significant is House Bill twenty three six which amends the Student Data Privacy Act uh, to deal with uh, basically is designed around certain questionnaires. Lee, again, I think you have most recently followed that yes. as it came out of the Children and Families it did. Committee. It did. Very interesting uh, debate in that committee, which is chaired by Representative Susan Kahn Cannon. This, uh, essentially, to kind of clue you in, it's really about the Communities That Care survey, which uh, we know gives us a lot of data on uh, social emotional uh, needs in the community and drug or alcohol abuse, uh, tobacco use. And so it's something that has been quite useful to school districts over the years. But uh, a few years ago, it was changed. The law changed from making this an opt out procedure for parents. So unless you opt out, your kid was uh, able to take it. And for the last several years, it's been uh, reversed that you would Yes. So so uh, so now you would have to opt in to take it, which takes uh, the number of respondents down. And so um, uh, school districts and uh, the other community partners that rely on that data have found that that as a result of those lower response rates, the the amount of data and the quality of the data is much less. And so there's an effort being made to kind of switch that back so that you have to opt out. There are have been concerns by some that uh, that family or student privacy is being um, impinged by these data questions, although this data is all reported in the aggregate. Um, but there are, nevertheless, there's some, some concerns there. But then, uh, you know, you had folks like Representative Cindy Neighbor, who's also a school board member, talk about how valuable this data is. And so uh, it was a somewhat uh, robust debate at times. It was a 6-6 tie on the committee, and Chairman Chairwoman Concannon uh, broke the tie. So 7-6, the bill passed out. And then I think the last one or two, uh, you want to talk about Senate Bill 38 from this morning. Sure. Uh, there's a hearing on SB 38, unemployment compensation for school bus drivers. Uh, it turns out that in the 80s, uh, and this is only specifically related to um, private contract 
uh, services. So it wouldn't be school bus drivers that work directly for districts. Uh, but in the 80s, there was a law passed that excluded private contract school bus drivers from being eligible from uh, earning from access to unemployment insurance. Um, this uh, is the literally only carve out within that private school, uh, within that private contract function. Uh, many other uh, services that are contracted by school districts and can be there, uh, in so much even as a, a bus aide or bus monitor uh, is not limited from applying for unemployment insurance. And so uh, the Teamsters Union, the Department of Labor, and Student First Busing Company uh, came to do this. Uh, the probably the most compelling testimony, the student first advocates uh, that were there, the vice president, regional vice president said, you know, they are paying into the unemployment insurance fund already. They certainly play, pay at the lowest rate since they obviously won't Can't have draw any claims any. <laughs> um, on it. You'd and, think that rate would be zero. And they, and they know that it will go up with that, but but they're confident that the offset of savings that they'll have by training less drivers because they'll see less turnover, uh, their safety evaluations, and the ability that they'll have to, to recruit better quality drivers long term and stay with them will be of value enough to them that will offset that cost. Uh, they say their current turnover rate right now for drivers in year one through five is 29 to 33% per year and that again is something that we'd love to hear from our members on because the whole bus drivers and many other staff positions uh, are, are seen as in very short supply last bill I don't even know that we really talked about I will just mention because I think it's the only other thing we've noticed on the the calendar for next week in addition to what we've told you Senate bill 175 and the Senate Commerce Commission uh, basically it very very emphatically says that if you're a member of a public uh, public employee union, uh, KNEA, state employees, firefighters, any other union, you can at any time demand that you not be paid dues to that union. Um, although I, you're not required to be in those unions now, uh, this apparently would, would speed it along. So this is another one. Don't really know the issue addressed here. Uh, it, but, and it's obviously very late in the session, very much in the first house, but that actually up for hearing on Monday. And, and I think what we, we may want to do a little glancing more at that because in talking today, the, the Teamsters representative had brought that up to me. Um, he was pretty sure that the, the bill would actually mandate that we would have to notify all of our employees every year of this right and and be required. So there may be a little bit of an administrative expense on school districts or cities, counties, right. even the state on this, and that we have to every year market to them their ability to. Although it to is, not be and I, we, we certainly should talk about that. But it is, it is my understanding there have already been similar bills that require things. So I'm 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 guessing that every teacher gets a uh, <laughs> a, a nice letter with very small fine print <laughs> that this would now be in. But but yes that. That was noted as well. So, again, by all means, uh, uh, take a look and give us any feedback you've had. That's Senate Bill 175. So, with that, we will wrap up noting only that a week from today is the deadline for bills to be through non-exempt committees. Uh, the uh, the next week will be essentially the first couple days on floor debate in the second house. The legislature will not be meeting that Thursday and Friday to allow conference committees to meet. And then as we move into April, the legislature will have one more week 
mostly to focus on conference committees. All it, that, that's never all that they do as they move toward the April 5th first adjournment. I think the critical thing from our viewpoint is, will a school finance bill pass by that time so that it will be ready to be argued in front of the court uh, in mid-May when the uh, when the court, when the Supreme Court has uh, set hearings. So any last thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I think, as, as Rob said earlier, the, the easy fix on school finance is Senate Bill 142. And while there are parts of the House bill that we do support, uh, it seems like there are many, many provisions there that need further study. The clear, the, the obviously the clearest path that appears to now enjoy pretty strong bipartisan support and pretty broad support in the educational community, at least is moving in the right direction, uh, is is that bill, and that's a, that's a good point of conversation to have. Yes, there may be there may well be merits in some of these other provisions of the House bill, some concerns, some merits, all of which could be addressed separately uh, as well, and not perhaps delay doing the one thing the legislature really needs to, to do to resolve the litigation that everyone says we want resolved as soon as possible. want to thank you guys for uh, tremendous work this week. It has been very hectic. Uh, I don't know it's going to slow down very much. Um, so I appreciate it from all of you as well as everyone else at KSB that helps. And we certainly uh, uh, thank our viewers, our listeners, and all of the work you're doing to carry these concerns to your local legislators. So thank Thank you, and we will see you next Friday.